Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope. And we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Today's guest is Dr. Olivia Trowers, MD, mm-hmm. doing it well in her life. I love what she's talking about on her uh, Twitter feed, and I wanted to have her on to talk about purpose and success because those are things that we have to get over in terms of mindset and focus uh, to get ourselves to that next level to determine who we are, what we are, and what we have to offer, and how does that translate? It tra- when you're trying to start that business as an educator, you need to be self-assured and ready to go. So for those who be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Audible, will you please introduce yourself, Dr. Trowers? Hi there. Well, thank you, Dr. Bull, for having me on. Uh, so like you said, my name is Olivia Cardenas Trowers. I go by Dr. Trowers. Uh, I am a female pelvic medicine and a reconstructive surgeon. So that's a mouthful, also known as a urogynecologist. And I, I essentially do surgery for women that have uh, pelvic floor disorders. So that includes prolapse of the vagina, uterus, urinary incontinence, things that people really don't want to talk about, but are actually pretty common and can be pretty detrimental to people's quality of life. So that's, that's what I do, but I am also an educator. I I do teach at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. That's where I practice. So we have fellows, residents, uh, medical students that work with us. So I'm excited to, to chat with you today. All right. So I'm always curious as to how people got to where they are. What did you think you'll be doing when you were growing up? And what attracted you to becoming an MD? So growing up, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. It wasn't really into college that uh, I was exploring medicine. I did have an early exposure to it, though. My dad is a physician, so I did have that. But uh, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go that route. Uh, he, He was pretty adamant about balancing both work and home life, so he wasn't that typical MD that was working all the time and never saw his family. He actually purposefully uh, switched to that from private practice to academic so he would have more time with us. So I really appreciated that. But it wasn't until college, um, I really enjoyed science, uh, technology, and I just felt medicine was the best fit for me. So I applied to medical school and I went to Meharry Medical College, which is a historically black college and university. And, uh, and then during that time um, in my third year, when I rotated through OBGYN is when I became interested, particularly in this field. Mm. So I want to throw this out there to you before we get into this nitty gritty. You just mentioned Meharry HBCU. Mm-hmm. Uh, how important is it for Meharry and other programs that at HBCUs that prepare uh, black people to become physicians and dentists, et cetera. Uh, because when people talk about representation, you know, it's really, and I heard uh, Dr. A talked about this, who is a, you know, famous uh, dentist in Miami, but she talked about it being representation, being a reflection mm-hmm. so that other students other individuals could see her and see themselves and say, 
well, if she can do it, so can I. Mm-hmm. Being that you are a, a black uh, female physician, what goes through your mind or what do you think is important or why is it important for others to see you doing what you do? So going back to Meharry, that was a purposeful decision. Um, I applied to other medical schools and got into other medical schools. But up until that point, I really had been educated in primarily white environments. And I thought it would be important for my success uh, to go to an HBCU. I felt like I would have a good education, but surrounded by people who look like me and who would inspire me and support me. And not that you can't have that in other environments, but I really hadn't experienced that before. And I'm really grateful that that I did. And I think it's part of my success. But as far as, you know, being representative, being a representation of your community, I do think it's very important. Part of that is being authentic. And sometimes it's it feels hard to do that, particularly when you think of the stereotypical professional environment, right? Professionalism, some argue is kind of based, based off white supremacy or, you know, uh, kind of a white lens and to kind of fit into that box and not everybody looks the same. And so what is professional to one person or group of people, you know, may not apply to everyone. So I do think, you know, part of my Twitter presence is I do try to balance, hey, I'm a black woman in medicine, I'm successful, I do research, I teach, but you know, I still, you know, I have a little slang here, you know, I, I'm, I like to wear different clothing that, you know, it may not be all buttoned up. So I think that is important to kind of balance that and be authentic because other people will vibe with that. All right. So everyone know you've been living there's been a lot going on these past couple of years. And as educators, when the world shut down, it was really different. And all of a sudden, teachers who had barely touched the, com- the laptops in their classroom were now forced to teach online. Mm-hmm. What has it been like for you as a medical doctor over the past two years? It's been, it's been challenging, Um, you know, so I'm a surgeon as well. And at at some point I couldn't operate because the hospital wouldn't allow it um, because of uh, patients with COVID having priority in the hospital resources being low. So that, that took a hit. And then as you were mentioning for education purposes, a lot of the teaching that we did was in person previously. So we had to switch to Zoom and virtual platforms and be creative and innovative. So in some ways it was a challenge, but in other ways it did push us to be better and to be creative. And you know, we are we've continued to use these things despite in some in some ways things getting better. So I'm always interested in this whole aspect of you mentioned authenticity and knowing who you are. And in some spaces, people talk about the idea of being uh, an imposter uh, because you are finding yourself, you know, you're looking around and even though you have these degrees, these accolades, the receipts, as we say on the street, you're Mm -hmm. still, you know, sometimes you can say, wow, do I really belong here? How do we find out, right, who we are And what happens when we're out here and we are not clear on who we are? Yes. So I find that, you know, that's a pretty common thing that imposter syndrome, no matter who you are. And there may be some groups of people who are more, uh, you know, 
pre, um, you know, predisposition, predisposition to have those feelings. But I would say when I experience that, you know, I, I acknowledge it. I don't ignore it. Um, you know, I sit with it and acknowledge that, okay, I'm feeling this right now. Um, and then I do take the time to kind of reflect, okay, why am I feeling this way? Is it some other factor that, you know, has nothing to do with whatever I'm, you know, facing? Um, it is important to look back at your successes and say, hey, look at, look at what I, I have achieved. Look at my strengths here. Um, also connecting with your community, your family, friends, people that know you that can remind you, hey, you know, you, you got this, you know, you, you're here for a reason. So I think those are all strategies that I've regularly implemented to help me get out of that rut. But it does happen. It happens to everybody, even the, the most successful seasoned people. And so it's also helpful, I think, to share people's um, setbacks as well. So if you see somebody that you look up to and they say, hey, I didn't get this grant or, you know, my paper didn't get published, that's very helpful, not only for them, but for other people that look up to them. So how have you developed your self-worth and learned not to self-sabotage? So how, how have I learned my self-worth? I think, um, I think it does take practice, you know? I think it does take, you know, going over, you know, look at what I've achieved, um, you know, making lists of that and, you know, being, being surrounded by positive people that lift you up. Um, having mentors that can show you the ropes and help you navigate those things. I think those are some of the ways that can help you, you know, get out of self-sabotaging. In the space where you are, again, being a surgeon and an academic and being in spaces where sometimes you may be the only one in the room, how do you advocate for yourself and not allow fear to hold you back? I, I think it's important to, you know, speak up, um, speak up when you feel like something is not right. And there are different ways to do that. Um, you know, sometimes when you are the only person, you may feel, fear retribution. Um, so it's also helpful to have allies. And if the allies may not look exactly like you, but if you know somebody's in your corner, especially if they have some power and can sponsor you, you know, that that comes in handy as well. But um but I do think it is important, you know, to to have a presence. And again, just to be mindful, you know, sometimes you do need to speak up to protect yourself. Now, I want to throw this out there to you because you just mentioned finding a sponsor. Right. Mm -hmm. No one. I mean, I, I, you know, no one is going to get anywhere without a network. I mean, one of the great, I guess, great things about coming from a privileged life is that you're born with a network. But how does someone who are coming in and maybe they're from an environment where in these new spaces they're in, they don't know anyone, their family doesn't know anyone, and they're still trying to navigate through and reach different levels, different heights. How do they go about finding a sponsor that can be in their corner uh, then to not only sort of give them tips and educate them on, okay, this is a move to make, avoid this, do that. But also when they're in the room, they themselves can say, hey, this person right here, I know would be great for this opportunity. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. So I've had to do that myself and, and I actually use social media to do that. So, you know, when I started, I didn't have any followers. I didn't, I wasn't connected to the people I'm connected with, 
Part of it was, you know, doing my research. So going online, using resources. So you may not know anybody directly in your community, but use the internet, go online, look, see if you can connect with people that way through social media. Um, not only can you try to connect that way, but also find tips about how to network and um, to, you know, connect with people and then implement that. And so like, for instance, for social media, I would post about the things that I'm interested in. People would interact with it. I made sure to interact with them um, and then, you know, drop, hey, you want to collaborate on this? And then it just starts to grow. It's like a plant. It just grows. And then you don't really have to put in much effort after that. But I would say if you don't have people immediately that can be mentors for you, look outside your network and do that through social media or other virtual platforms. I think that's kind of in our times the best way to do it. So with this great resignation, we've seen a lot of people quit their jobs. And I've been shocked to even go on, you know, on YouTube and see medical doctors say, I'm out. Now, I understand there's been a lot of stress going on in, what, in the work they've been doing. But with some of these jobs, these people have spent years preparing for this job, tens even hundreds of thousands to get this job. And they've gotten to a point to where they no longer feel served or fulfilled, or they are no longer excited about the work that they're doing. How does someone, when they get to that point, begin to figure out a new dream for themselves? I think, so I used to be of the mindset, you know, this is my career. This is what I'm going to focus on. I'm going to do it till I retire. You know, after this, you know, this pandemic and, and talking to other people who have left medicine, you know, I do really love my job. I think I will like it for a very long time, but I do think it's important to have a growth mindset and also just knowing that things change, you know, your dreams may change and don't be scared, scared of that. Yes, you invested in this, but it's not you know, for nothing. There's many skills and things that you learned through this journey that you may be able to apply in a different career or a different situation. So I think just not being scared of that um, and just having a growth mindset, you know, I can do anything. I've learned these skills and I will, you know, be able to surmount anything that comes my way. Um, but then also I think, you know, surrounding yourself by diverse people. So not people that just think like you, but outside of your field as well. And you can get some really good ideas that you may be able to implement in your own field or if you decide to change careers, you've already built the connections to make that transition easier. So I think, I think the biggest thing is just lose the fear because I think a lot of people are scared. You know, medicine has changed for better or, you know, for some worse. And so recognizing that and just being okay with, hey, you know, once I get my loans paid off or whatever, if I want to switch, it's going to be okay. Hey, I hear you talking about those loans. Hey, there have been times I've thought about, maybe I, maybe I need to go work for a tech company, but I'm like, look, I'm this close. I'm this close to getting those loans paid off in, in K through 12. So I'm wondering, okay, my dude, I may need to stay these last four years so I can make sure, uh, make sure that they paid off. So, wow, you said so much right there. Now, earlier you talked about what you've been doing with social media and being that you are a professional, uh, being that you are a black woman, what goes into your mind about what you post, what you should post and what you shouldn't post 
given how the world reacts differently to different people posting things, right? Because as you mentioned earlier, even in the workplace, what could be professional to some could not be professional to others. The same thing applies to social media and what you post. So, so do you have a plan for the pictures you post or the, or the tweets you send out? Or mm-hmm. is it something organic? And if it feels right, it feels right. I think it's a combination of the two, but uh, I think it's important to keep in mind what your goal is. So for me, my goal for social media is to show a different side of, of medicine. So yes, it is professional, but redefining what professional is. So, you know, for instance, I will just post, I will post about my research. So I'll post about my research publications, you know, the, kind of the typical stuff, but I'll also post about, you know, um, you know, I got new glasses and have, you know, instead of like a little glamorous shot or, you know, I'm going on vacation, you know, things that all of us do, you know, all of us do these things, but for some reason, we just have this strict role where we can only show one side of ourselves. And I, I like being able to show patients, everyone, you know, incoming people who may go into medicine, you know, you can do this too. You know, not all doctors look the same people from your community can, can be, can, you can do this too kind of thing. So that's what I think about when I, when I post and, you know, I pretty much stick to that. And I, as long as I feel good about it, I haven't had to delete anything and I haven't really gotten, you know, any pushback, including from my institution. So. That's all right. That's all right. I always tell, well, the educators that I speak to, I just tell them to always look at their code of conduct at work uh, because Mm -hmm. even though you're an adult and there are certain things that as an adult you are free to do legally some things can get you in trouble with your school district Uh, so I said make sure you're not violating the code of conduct so that if you do something you're like okay I'm good I'm in the clear you don't have to worry about that that phone call uh, or that email Uh, wow I'm just so like enamored because when I look at it, I'm like, you're doing this and the surgeon. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's, it's incredible. Uh, people, you know, I talk to teachers sometimes and, and they're like, you, you, you got your, your, your doctorate. Uh, I don't know if I can put in that many years. I'm like, well, it's four, uh, four and a half. If you, if you, you know, with the dissertation, sometimes you've put in the work to be a surgeon that is well beyond anything I could have even imagined with my EDD. Uh, how did you decide that that was going to be the route for you to take? You know, once you got into medical school and you're going through the work, uh, how did you say, hey, I'm going to take this surgery rotation because this is what I want to do? So you're right. It is a very long journey. And at times I was like, I don't know if I want to take this additional seven, it was additional seven years after medical school, but I could not envision myself doing anything else. Um, I love what I do. I love being able to do surgeries for, for these women, you know, leaking on yourself is not fun. Having prolapse is not fun. And just being able to correct that for people and just, you know, seeing, you know, them light up once they heal from their surgery. I just, I 
I had to do it. So that was, that was part of it. It's just, I knew I would enjoy it. And even the downsides. So I feel like when I, when I uh, mentor students, I say, don't look at just the, the glorious side of, of the specialty that you're interested. Also look at the hard parts of it, right? Because you're going to have that too. So when I was looking at the hard parts as well, I still really liked it. So that was, that was why. Mm. That's all right. That's all right. Now, because this has been awesome for me. And again, I thank you for taking time out of your schedule yeah, uh, to be with me this morning. You're welcome. And, and to talk to my audience about purpose and success and following uh, your dreams. Uh, before we go, how does someone start believing in themselves and in the possibility of something bigger and greater when they look in their family and they don't see it, when they look in their community and they don't see it, right? And part of it, I'm asking this is, I'm an educator and we teach students who come from families and communities where they don't see professionals, right? And though we are, you know, teachers are doing the hard work of getting them academically prepared, the even harder work is to get them to see why for some of them they should put in the work because they have to see that becoming a doctor is a possibility for them. Becoming a teacher is possible. Becoming an engineer is possible for them. That, that whole self-efficacy piece and, and them reimagining themselves at greater heights. Uh, how does someone get to that point when they don't have any reference to begin with? Mm-hmm. I think it's just start early, early exposure. So, you know, I, part, some of my friends who did, you know, like, so like I said, I had a physician in the family, my dad, who I saw early on, but I had friends that I met in medical school. Again, I went to HBCU who were first generation. And for many of them, they were introduced to medicine by like um, little fairs. So like a, a, a physician or an engineer or somebody in STEM would come to their school, talk about what they do. And that's how they got exposed to it. And like, oh, that's cool. And that person looks like me. That means I can do it. I mean, just that brief encounter and exposure can, you know, open up the door. So I think starting early and early exposure is a good start. But say you got to the point where you you didn't have that and you know you have an inkling that you want to do something like that, you know, again, I really believe in in using um, you know, the resources that you have. So using, you know, going online, if you don't have any, anybody directly that you can connect to, you know, seeing if you connect through somebody through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, you know, I feel like that has opened doors for people and, you know, you can connect with people that you otherwise wouldn't have. So that would be something that I would recommend. All right. All right. Thank you, Dr. Olivia, Olivia Cardenas Trowers for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Will. You're welcome. Now, people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode is going to be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, and Audible. I need you to subscribe and share it with your network. And though I'm on, on all major podcast platforms, I need you to go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, listen, people, and drop me some reviews because I'm trying to be found and I'm trying to get Oprah on the yeah. show. Okay, so again, I like to thank my guest, Dr. 
So you laughing? People always get a little <laughs> kick out of the Oprah thing. Yes. But I, I hey, I'm I'm aiming for it. I'm aiming for it. Uh, you know, I like to thank my guest, Doctor Cardenas. Trowers for coming on and dropping so many gems, and for you to check it out another episode of the Dr. Will Show, the Mobile University of Entrepreneurs. As always, people, invest in you, EDU, peace.